Many of us know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. I mean, it was told to us when we were kids, when we went to Sunday school. Remember those Sunday school pictures of a smiling Daniel petting the nice lions? Not quite reality. You know, when, when, when the Romans and the Roman Empire had Christians fed to the lions, um, they weren't the first ones to feed criminals to the big cats. This happened in the time of Daniel. The Persians did the same thing. It was an efficient way to execute somebody. Just throw them to the lions. You don't have to deal with it anymore. So when we think about Daniel finding himself in this situation, how in the world did a Jew from Jerusalem get to Babylon and find himself about to be thrown to a, into a den of lions? See, Daniel was in Babylon because he was taken captive from Jerusalem when the Babylonians attacked the city in 605 B.C. King Nebuchadnezzar took back to Babylon the the smartest and wisest people in Jerusalem, and that included Daniel. He was highly respected. So 45 years after Daniel was taken from his home in Jerusalem to Babylon... The Babylonians themselves were attacked. They were taken over by the Persians. And like he was to the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel was a key advisor to the new king, King Darius. So in chapter 6, we find Daniel as an old man. He is King Darius's most trusted advisor. And you know when you're the teacher's pet, all the other kids don't like you? You know, because you're the teacher's pet. Well, Daniel was the favorite. So all the other advisors of the king didn't like him. Plus, Daniel was a foreigner. And he worshipped a different god than they did. They didn't like him. He was different, but yet he was the king's favorite, and he needed to go. So they were out to get him. So... They knew that Daniel would only worship his God, Yahweh. So these advisors snuck a law before the king that whoever worshipped anyone other than King Darius himself would be put to death. So when Daniel learned of this law, that the king had signed it without really knowing what he was signing, being the faithful man of God that he was, Scripture tells us he still continued his tradition of praying three times a day like he had done his entire life. And you know the rest of the story. He was arrested, thrown to the lions, but God saved him. You know what what intrigues me about this passage of Scripture? It's something that's not even in this passage of Scripture. The most interesting thing about this passage isn't even in the passage. Where did Daniel get this faithful courage? It says that he prayed three times a day like he had always done. Where did he get this? See, in ancient Israel, instruction in the ways of the Lord came from the family. Mothers and fathers taught their children how to be faithful to God. Listen to these instructions from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 11. This is what God says. He says, Teach my ways to your children. 
Talk about them when you were at home and when you are away on a journey, when you are lying down and when you are getting up again. Daniel was taught the ways of God by his parents. His courage to disobey a law that would force him to worship an earthly king, that courage came from his parents. So here he is. Daniel's around 80 years old. And his life was still being affected by what his parents taught him when he was a child. I just think that is fascinating. See, I think the unsung heroes in this whole story of Daniel aren't even in the story. It's his parents. It's his mom and dad. There's a misconception today in some circles of of the church that one of the church's primary functions is to provide spiritual instruction for children and youth. I'm not sure that's so accurate. See, our ministries to children and youth are meant to supplement the spiritual instruction that the children are getting at home. That's what we're supposed to do as a church. To reinforce what you all are already doing at home. That's the expectation. Just like Daniel's parents did when he was a child. Cheryl and I are really blessed with our kids. I wish you knew them better. But they've been away. We've been empty nesters since we've been here just about. And as, as they've grown in their own personalities and their gifts and their skills and just to watch them just blossom as children of God, what's been fun for me and pretty amazing for me is just to watch Cheryl with them, especially with our son Daniel. Daniel's 23 now, and Cheryl can still read his mind, even over the phone They'll be having a conversation, and I'm in the other room, and I can hear Cheryl saying, okay, Daniel, you're not telling me something. How does she do it? How do you moms do that? There's just something about a mom's intuition that we dads just don't get. When our kids were growing up, Cheryl would tape index cards with scriptures on them, on the mirror in the kids' bathroom. So when they, were, when they were getting ready for school, brushing their teeth, they'd see a Bible verse. And they knew that it was in mom's handwriting. It was just a beautiful reminder to them of who they are as they go off to school into a, into a culture that does not support and encourage Christian belief. Just a little reminder as they're brushing their teeth. Do you realize that in the Bible, other than one murderous grandma, and that's a fascinating story, and the queen, evil queen Jezebel that we talked about last week, we don't see very many examples of mothers who were unfaithful to God. It's really quite interesting. But for some reason, unfaithful dads are all over the place. I don't think that's fair, but hey, it's, it's the Bible. 
See, mom, motherhood is a gift for all women. Whether you have children or not, you have a motherly presence about you that's a gift from God. You have the capacity to reach children with a unique love that represents God. Susanna Wesley, who was the mother of Methodism's founder, John Wesley, was a remarkable woman. I would not want to have crosswords with her. She was tough as nails. How many kids did they have? Yeah, I mean, a dozen kids or so. I mean, she took care of them all. John's dad was a, was a priest in the Church of England. He wasn't very good handling money, and he found himself in debt. And back then, if you were in debt and you couldn't pay, they put you in prison, which was terrible because they wouldn't let you out until you paid your debt, but you couldn't pay your debt because you're sitting in prison. So when John's dad, the priest, was in prison, his mother, Susanna, took over. She took care of the entire household responsibilities as well as the spiritual responsibilities of the church. She affected hundreds of lives. Under John's mother's spiritual leadership, their little church grew beyond its capacity to hold people. As he grew, John Wesley never forgot about the faithfulness of his mother or that she taught all of her children about the ways of God or he never forgot the spiritual leadership she showed in times of stress in their family. I know some mothers didn't have a relationship with Jesus when their children were young. Some feel guilty about not raising them in the ways of God. If you feel that way today, it's not too late for you. If you need to say something to your children, say it. They need to hear it from you. They want to hear it. And if you've never had children or if you've tragically lost children, what's keeping you from investing in the lives of the youngest ones among us? They need you. As you know, I'm, I'm going to be joining the faculty at Asbury Seminary starting July 1st. And the, and the thought of teaching at the seminary that's the most difficult for me is that I'm not going to be around kids as much as I am here at Centenary. If you all know, if you have all figured out, I love kids. As a matter of fact, if you came back here and looked inside the pulpit, I have lots of little gifts that the kids give me. And it reminds me of them of when I'm preaching and I pray for them. Look, I got all kinds of stuff in here. Look at this. I got stickers that they give me and all kinds of stuff. This past Wednesday, I accompanied Jill Winter and her leadership team as they took the kids to party on air. That was a lot of fun. It was loud. It was wild. It was fun. I don't know how many times I said get down off of that. It was a lot of fun. But I have to tell you, if you notice me moving a little slowly today. It's because although I'm now 50 years old, my brain still thinks I'm in my 20s. And that inflatable obstacle course, Emery, <laughs> ate my lunch. Yeah, 
I was trash-talking Emery about racing on that thing, and then while I was still trying to get over the first obstacle, she was done putting her shoes on. But I finished, didn't I? And now I'm sore. But you know, if I can bring Jesus and joy to children, I'll gladly have a sore body. It's worth it. Because who knows, something that I say or do might be the one thing that sticks with a child through adulthood or keeps them faithful to Jesus. In the Bible, Daniel's parents instilled in him that no matter what the world says, no matter what threats are made against you, always, always stay faithful to God. Daniel was faithful to God, and God blessed him. How are are you in your daily life staying faithful to God? What spiritual practices are customary in your life? We see that Daniel had set aside time three times a day to pray at certain times of the day. A lot of us have a difficult time remembering to pray three times a week. But every day, at three specific times, Daniel would pray. When we think of all that God has done for us, why is it so difficult to fit God into our schedules? And you know, maybe that's the problem. Instead of setting aside time for God every day, why not invite God to be a part of our entire day? Instead of just fitting him into our schedule when we have time, why not allow God to kind of overlay our entire schedule? Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing. You know what that means? That means to pray in which there aren't any spaces of time between our prayers. My goodness. When I look at my schedule and my calendar, how in the world? I mean, that just doesn't seem possible. But when we look at our schedules, our goal should not be that we actually go through the manner of praying, but what if our goal was that our lives became a prayer? I wonder if Paul is talking about that. What would your life look like if you lived every moment as if it were a living conversation with God? See, that's the mark of a disciple of Jesus. And long before Jesus came to earth... That's the kind of man that Daniel, that's the kind of of life that Daniel lived. He lived that kind of life in Jerusalem. He lived it in captivity. He lived that kind of life in his official administrative duties in a foreign land. He lived that kind of life in his defiance of a law that would have killed him for treason. His life was a living prayer. And Daniel's life could become a prayer because he drew godly strength from those set-apart prayer times.
See, this was something that was taught to Daniel 70 years before by his parents. And we don't even know their names, do we? But their legacy lived on through the faithfulness of their son. What kind of legacy are you leaving this earth? We all leave one. We all leave a legacy. It could be either positive or a negative legacy, but we're all leaving one. What kind are you leaving to your children or the children in your life? To your neighbors? What kind of legacy are you leaving to this church? That's an issue between you and God. And I pray that you will respond when he lays that upon your heart. Let's pray together.